and from the Gospel of Mark. Then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each should take. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also taunted him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with wine, with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, Let's see whether Elijah will come down to take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, He said, truly, this man was God's son. This morning's second reading is Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 14. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. There are the ways you will also once uh, followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, 
malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices, and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Bear with one and another, and if anyone has a compl- complaint against one another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here ends the reading. The claim of the Christian gospel is that the crucifixion of Jesus is the turning point of human history, the inauguration of a new age. The Son of God dies a God-forsaken death, and in this death, the truth about God and humanity and human destiny is fully revealed. Yet what does that mean for people for whom it only gets worse? People for whom it's not going to be all right. People who cry out to God to save them and yet God does not save them in this world. People who face starvation. People trapped in situations of poverty and abuse. People who suffer unjust imprisonment and torture. People who have no home to call their own. They are actually the sorts of people Paul would have been writing to in Colossians and he himself knew imprisonment and torture. What hope is there ultimately for humanity? What word of comfort is there? What can we say as Christians, how can we respond to the fact of terrible suffering? If we Christians cannot respond in what we say and in what we do to questions such as these, if our faith in Jesus Christ falls apart under such challenges, then it's not really a faith worth having. And we, who are relatively well off, can experience within ourselves the contradictions of, say, Palm Sunday last week, which we were reminded of. Travelling well, even triumphantly. Yet the reality may be something very different. Even we who live comparatively comfortably have our own wells of grief, if we're honest. Whether it's to do with a job or a career, something that might have been, been but wasn't, the loss of friendship, 
or the death of people we've loved, maybe even loss of trust or betrayal or simply coping with change. COVID, of course, these past years have brought all those things up for us in different ways. Wells of grief where we struggle to see God working. What does our faith, the Christian gospel, say to them? We heard at the beginning of our service from Mark. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others. They said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Here, in Jesus' cry of dereliction, which has never been fully plumbed, is the proving ground of our faith. The Son of God, in the Garden of Gethsemane, cried to the Father, God, save me. And the answer came, there was to be no escape. If there is one thing certain today, it's this. We don't proclaim a God who has remained remote from the agony of his creatures. In the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus being led, letting himself be led from place to place, ultimately to the place of utter abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In these words from the cross, we see the deepest identification of Jesus the Messiah with the outermost limit of human suffering. St Mark wants us to see that it's precisely in this extremity that Jesus is Lord. In fact, Mark's whole gospel is constructed so as to come to its climax with Jesus' dereliction and shameful death. And it's in this condition of utter abandonment that Jesus is seen most fully and most truly to be the Son of God. That's why the centurion utters the affirmation Truly this man was the son of God at this moment in Mark. Jesus' cry of dereliction on the cross isn't just the heartbreaking lament of an abandoned man. It is that, but it's not only that. 
What we see and hear in Jesus' death is the decisive intervention of God to deliver his children from the unspeakable fate of ultimate abandonment. The testimony of the four evangelists, the testimony of the Christian church, the testimony of you and I, is that in this event, in this God-forsaken death, the cosmic scale has been conclusively tipped in the opposite direction so that sin and evil and death are not the last word and never will be again. Can we expect people to believe this today? Where's the evidence? 2,000 years later, it seems nothing has changed. Think of some of our prayers today, what we're still praying for. There is still the same old violence, brutality, vengeance and death. How can we speak of deliverance in Jesus Christ? Do we just have to fall back on blind faith? Do we just say that God will make everything right someday? No, we can say more than that. Why do I believe in the reality and power of Jesus Christ even now in this present evil age as Galatians chapter 1 describes it? I believe the cross of Christ brought something into the world that was not there before. That's what I believe. That's what I hope you believe. The cross of Christ inaugurated the new age. When Paul in Colossians is saying, set your mind on things above, that's what he's saying, set your mind on the new age that has been inaugurated, the things above that have been brought into the present. When early Christians wanted to describe their experience of Christ and the cross, they actually turned to the servant songs in Isaiah. And at another level, the servant songs describe our story as we follow his way. And I'll read part of one, Isaiah chapter 50. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. 
who will condemn me? You see, that's the new thing. The ability to love, to give of oneself, even in the face of rejection and hatred. There are witnesses all over the world whose lives are hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3.14, whose lives hidden in Christ with God are a testimony to its reality and power. To go on in the language of Colossians chapter 3, testimony as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothing ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. That is how we follow the way of the cross, setting our faces like flint, bearing with each other, forgiving one another. If you have a grievance against someone, forgiving as the Lord forgave us. And over all those virtues, putting on love. It is love which binds us all together in perfect unity, the unity that we prayed for. This week, the world has gone about its business. These three days, the world is going about its business. Many people are far more focused on where they're going on away for a few days. But, but in these three days, particularly, the meaning of existence is revealed to those who have eyes to see. Those who have eyes to see Jesus entering into Jerusalem Thursday night, last night, as he ate his final supper with his disciples and goes forth to be betrayed. This morning, as he hangs exposed and naked on the cross and poured out his life, for those with eyes to see, God is acting. In the events of these three days, the cries of those who suffer have been heard by the only one who could, the only one who can, the only one who will deliver on his promise that there will be a new day beyond suffering, beyond death. But it only comes, it only comes by means of his death. Set your minds on things above. And the challenge for us in these three days is to live the mystery more deeply than we did last year, to live it more fully, to live it more truly these three days and in 
the days to come. So let us follow him then to the foot of the cross. Let's stay here. on this day and tomorrow. Let us behold our Lord as he gives himself up for the sake of the world and let us come to confess in heart and soul and mind, in faith and in trust, truly this man is the Son of God.